Thank you, Lord. Stand with me, everybody, would you? Isn't that a great song? Give them a hand of appreciation. Appreciate that. Thank you, Lord. Well, we're in the final weekend of spring break. Everybody had a good spring break? How many of you want a break from spring break? Well, we're in the countdown to Easter. I do want to reiterate that Easter weekend, we'll have a Saturday night, 7 o'clock. The same message you'll hear Sunday morning, but we're going to uh, have communion Saturday night. And not in the three services Sunday morning due to time. But we'll be there uh, 7 o'clock Saturday night, 8 o'clock, 9.45, and 11.30 Sunday morning. I hope you invited somebody. Because people come to Easter, they don't even know why. They'll come for Easter. Those people you've been praying for, believing God to touch, say, hey, come to church with me Easter. Oh, sure. Take advantage of it. It's the most attended weekend uh, in church in the whole year. It is the Super Bowl. So bring somebody, all right? That in-law, that outlaw, that family friend, that spouse, that child, that parent, that neighbor, that co-worker, see if they won't come. And so since we're in the countdown to Easter, I've been sharing things that we need to remember about Jesus Christ, who lives today. But last week we looked at remembering the Lord's Supper, and today I want to look at remembering his betrayal. So we're going to look at his arrest. The arrest of Jesus was the betrayal of Jesus. And I want to read Matthew 26, verses 14 to 16. And let me, uh, there it is, Matthew 26, 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Can you imagine that? And then look what they did. And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to do what? To betray Jesus. Father, we pray that not only will we remember how Jesus was betrayed, but that he was betrayed so that we could be healed of having been betrayed. I pray for people in this sanctuary and listening by radio and watching on the internet that, Lord, if there are people who are offended, bitter, hurt, wounded from a betrayal, that you will use this message to bring them back to wholeness and bring them into healing. And thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen. If you don't need this now, you're going to need it later. And our prayers are with uh, all of our folks that are driving home today from a spring break. God keep them safe. Amen? Now, betrayal. What a word. I want to ask you a question. Anybody in here not been betrayed? That's the easiest question. If you haven't been betrayed ever in your life, raise your hand. And I want to meet you after church. I want you to touch me. Let it rub off on me. We've all been betrayed, haven't we? You know what I noticed in this uh, account of Jesus Christ as he headed towards the cross, the countdown to Easter, he's winding his way to Jerusalem. 
He has just established the Lord's Supper, as we saw last week. And now we saw that Judas got up from the Lord's Supper and went to betray the Lord. I counted 14 times in Matthew's gospel alone where the word betray is used in relation to Jesus' arrest. 14 times. As Jesus sat with his disciples at the first Lord's Supper, he turned and he said something that sent shockwaves through that small group of 12 men who had followed him for three years and some change. He said, it's not just that I'm going to be betrayed, but one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. Now, they immediately began to look at each other. No one could believe it. Not me, Lord. It's not going to be me. I could never do that. Not me, Lord. But Jesus knows what's in every one of us. And Jesus knew what was in the 12. And he knew what was in Judas. In Luke 22, verse 4, we're told that it was Judas. And that Judas was actively seeking by the day to betray Jesus. Wow. Now, to help you understand that, the Bible says that the devil entered him. The devil entered G uh, Judas. And the devil was involved in the betrayal of Jesus. But now Judas had to open the door. Because Satan can't make you or I do anything. He can only lure us, tempt us, entice us. So the enticement, the luring to betray Jesus, it was already in his mind. But the devil hopped on that because the door was open because Judas was entertaining it. And he went to betray him. And Webster's defines betrayal this way, to harm or be disloyal by delivering somebody over to an enemy, to be disloyal, especially to somebody close to you. As a matter of fact, betrayal is, is having somebody that you have counted on and have put an emotional investment in turn on you and disregard what is right and what is ethical and your personal feelings and they betray you. Somebody that was right here next to your side. And that's what Judas was. He was right up next to Jesus for three years. And Jesus loved him, took care of him. And Judas had heard him, followed him, knew exactly what he was all about. And he betrayed him. Somebody close, it stings when that spouse walks out. It stings when that person that you thought was your best friend turns on you and betrays you and you find out they've been backstabbing you and hurting you and damaging you and you feel betrayed. There's nothing like the violation of having been betrayed. It really hurts almost like nothing else. It's, it really stings. And unfortunately, betrayal is a painful characteristic of the human race because we're fallen. See, God doesn't betray, but we do. We do because we've got a fallen nature that is not like the Lord's. Now, we're Christians and we're growing in grace and growing to be like him, but I hate to tell you, but Christians betray. And until we really grow up in Jesus, we, we can betray. In Matthew 24, 10, Jesus warns us that in the last days, betrayal is going to be particularly widespread. It's actually going to be pandemic. Jesus said, Many will be offended, and they will betray one another, and they will hate one another. He went on to say that father will betray son, and son father, and parents children, and children parents, and, and spouses will betray one another in the last days. 
because of the dumbing down of the character of people. Paul warned us and said, by the Spirit of God, he said that in the last days, men are going to be lovers of themselves. And when you love yourself, there's nobody more important than you. And to get what you want or to protect yourself, you will betray others. The opposite of betrayal is God's love. But Jesus said in the last days, there's going to be a pandemic of betrayal. And I've asked you, have you ever been betrayed? Have, have you ever been betrayed by somebody who pretended to love you, but they wound up turning on you and deliberately hurting you? And some of you are here today stinging on the inside. You're, you're hurting right now. You've been offended because somebody has betrayed you. Somebody has walked out on you. Somebody has stuck you in the back and turned the knife, and you're betrayed. And I want you to understand that the Bible understands that, and God understands that. As a matter of fact, I love the Psalms because the Psalms cover the whole range of human emotion. If you're experiencing fear, the Psalms talk about it. If you're experiencing confusion, it's here in the book of Psalms. If you're down and depressed, the Psalms address you. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for you're going to yet praise him, who is the health of your countenance and your God. Amen. And if you've been betrayed... The Psalms talk about it. David understood this kind of betrayal-induced pain. And he wrote about it in Psalms 55. And in Psalms 55, he is talking right to a close advisor of his by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel had been his closest confidant, his closest advisor, his nearest counselor, his trusted friend. And he turned on him. It was Ahithophel who had joined hands with David's son, Absalom, the turncoat, to literally steal the kingdom away from David and assassinate him at the very same time. If they could have, they would have. We find that Absalom sat at the king's gate, sat at the gate of the city, and as the people came in and went, he talked to them and stole their hearts away from King David. If this kingdom was mine, I would do this and I would do that. And it's not right that my dad is doing this and doing that. And he stole a half of the kingdom away from David. And we find out that behind him was a man named Ahithophel, formerly David's counselor. But now he has turned and he has betrayed him. And he's counseling and advising Absalom. David found out about it and it stuck him like a knife in his back, like a hot knife. And he wrote these words. I would be able to take it if one who hates me were putting me to shame. I could hide from him. It was not one who hates me who has put himself up against me, but it's you, a man like myself, one who has gone with me, my close friend. We shared together and we walked with the people in the house of God. You're a brother. You're my friend. You're my buddy. You're my confidant. You were close to me. We went to church together. You can hear the pain in David's voice. It just reeks from that psalm. He's trying to come to grips with the fact that it was a close friend that turned on him. A confidant. One with whom he had shared the good things of God. Isn't God good? Oh yeah, God's good. Let's pray together. I got this problem, Ahithophel, and that one. Can you advise me? Yes, here's what I would do. Here's what I believe the Lord is saying. This, this was their relationship. They had fellowshiped in the church of God of that day together, and he turned on him. David knew the feeling, and this is a foreshadowing of what Christ would feel 
when Judas turned on him. He experienced exactly the same thing. Judas had seen the miracles of Jesus. He had traveled with him for three years. He had heard his profound teachings. He had observed firsthand his flawless lifestyle. He had been cared for by Jesus, loved by Jesus, protected by Jesus. Judas was also in the boat when it was going down, and Jesus stilled the waves and stopped the storm. He'd saved his life. It was this Judas that betrayed him. I want you to know today that I believe that happened to Jesus so that you and I could be healed when we are betrayed. I want you to know there's a healer in the house today. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to preach up Jesus. I'm going to preach down the devil. I want you to know I'm, I'm talking about something serious. But if you let it happen, a betrayal can take you down and take you out. You can walk away from church. I told the first service, there are people all over this city that are not in church today because somebody in the house of God betrayed them. And they got hurt. And they let their hurt ruin their walk. And now they've just said, well, if that's the way the church is, then I believe I'm going to get out of church. And they made a, a big mistake. Because when you and I are betrayed and hurt on the inside, there is a healer standing right there to carry us through it. See, Jesus was whipped across the back so that we could be healed. And he was betrayed so that we could be healed. Everything that he experienced adversely was so that you and I could be healed of it. He was whipped so we could be healed in our minds, whipped so we could be healed in our hearts, whipped so we could be healed in our marriages, whipped so we could be healed in our bodies. He was whipped. He was betrayed so that you and I could receive healing. He's a good God. You know, there were several things about Judas' betrayal that had to have been particularly painful to Jesus. He was human. He was all God, all man, all man, all God. But he had, of course, he felt, he wept, he laughed. He enjoyed companionship. We find that in the betrayal of Jesus, first of all, he was sold for money. Judas, it says in the Bible, went to the religious leaders of the Jews. He said, what will you pay me if I hand Jesus over to you? And they promised to pay him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas looked for a way to hand Jesus over to them. He said, he's he's worth 30 pieces of silver to me. I looked it up. And 30 pieces of silver in today's market is around $950, less than $1,000. Think about that. After all the time they'd spent together, Judas had seen the beauty of Jesus right there with John, who said, we beheld him. He was life. He was light. He was God manifested in flesh. Full of mercy and full of grace and full of truth, Judas had seen the same thing, this perfect human being who only love people, yet to him, he's worth 950 bucks. In the Old Testament, I found out in Exodus 21, verse 32, this was the price of a slave that had been gored to death by an ox. This was the price of a dead slave, $950. That had to hurt. The Bible tells us that when he got this blood money, And he saw what was happening to Jesus and that Jesus was being handed over to be crucified. That he began to experience regret. And he took this blood money and he ran into the temple and threw it back in the temple. Because Jesus was now being crucified. It was going way further than Judas thought that it would. 
too late. The dirty deed was done. Jesus was on the way to the cross per the will of God. But it didn't stop there, this bitter betrayal. This was a bitter betrayal, all caps. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Well, he's worth 950 bucks to me. Give me the 950 and I'll turn him over. And I'll tell you what, here's how I'm going to turn him over. The Bible says, he said to the soldiers, the man who handed Jesus over gave the soldiers something to look for. He said to them, the one I kiss is the one you want. Take him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The one I kiss, take him. A kiss in New Testament times was a token of allegiance and friendship. And interestingly, there are several words for kiss in the Greek language. And the one that is used here when he said the one I kiss is the word that means intimate friendship. It is a, it is a kiss of affection. Judas' kiss was cruel. It was a mockery of the close friendship that Jesus had shown to Judas. One commentator writes these words, how coolly deliberate, how diabolically malicious was Judas. Another commentator writes, Judas tenderly kissed him. He kissed him as was the custom on one cheek and then the other. We've all seen it in movies. We've seen people do it. In the Middle East, this is common. Kiss the right cheek, kiss the left cheek. He kissed him like that. Hey, friend, my dear friend, my intimate friend, I'm here to turn you over. $950 and a mocking kiss from a close friend is what the betrayal of Jesus was made up of. Think about that, the pain. What'd you sell me for? Less than a thousand. And I'm here to kiss you as soon as he kissed. And what gets me is he did this right in front of Peter, James, and John. He did it in front of the 11. He did it in front of all these soldiers. These 11 men knew him inside out. They knew Judas. And right in front of these guys that he'd walked with these years along with Christ, he walked right up to the master, right up to the one they loved, and kissed him and betrayed him. Stone cold, hard to understand. Now, if you haven't been betrayed, you will be betrayed because you live on planet Earth and it's a betraying world. Hate to break it to you if you're a Christian, but God doesn't take you out of reality. He graces you to make it through reality. But let's make this personal today. Here's the question, because I watched the way Jesus handled this, and, and, I, and I realized that all of us are going to have to handle offenses and things that really sting and things that could make us bitter if we let them. So here's the question. How do you live after a Judas kiss? Because this kiss was so bad that it has become known throughout the rest of time. When, when somebody is betrayed by another, it's called the Judas kiss. H how do you survive a Judas kiss? A friend betrays you, a spouse betrays you, a boss betrays you, an employee betrays you, somebody betrays you, and you know that it's a betrayal, and it stings, and it sticks, and it hurts, and it offends, and it makes you angry, and there's steam coming out your ears, and you're saying, how could they have done this? How do you move forward? Because you're going to have to move forward or get stuck in the offense. How can you remain free of bitterness? Let's look at what you're going to have to do to be healed because you know what I want? I want a church that is free. I don't want a church that has fallen prey to offenses, 
out of betrayal. I want a church that is free. I want a church that leaves the building smiling, that comes into the building smiling, that you come in here and you find the joy of the Lord. I don't want a sour, bitter, angry, furrow-browed, religious-looking church. And I know you don't either. I don't go to church to get down. I go to church to get up. I don't go to church to encounter a bunch of depressed people. I come to church to fellowship with God's believers who are filled with light and filled with joy and filled with love. But here's the deal. The devil is always walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if he can't keep you out of heaven, he wants to keep you from being effective and influential and fruitful. And one of the ways he does it is offenses. I am convinced that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan's number one enemy or number one tool and our enemy is offenses. We get offended. We get a chip on our shoulder. Somebody says something, does something, and and we are offended and we trip over it and we become snared by it. And if you're not careful, you will live hitting the rewind button and looping the offense through your mind over and over again. And you live it every day. You live listening again to what they said or watching again what they did. And you loop it again and you loop it again. And that's where you live. And if you're not careful, that's where you will die. We cannot allow bitterness to grab hold of our souls, church. Can't do it. So first, we've got to realize something. If we're going to be free, we've got to realize that first, God already saw it coming. Let me tell you about God. God never says, well, I'll be. Well, I'll be. Gabriel, did you know that was coming to them? No, I didn't know. I didn't know, God, that that was coming. No, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's coming your way before it ever arrives. Matter of fact, he knows what what is coming your way before it leaves the starting gate. God knows what is coming your way. He told to Simon Peter, he said, Peter, let me tell you something. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Well, I would have hoped he would have said, I prayed for you and I bound the devil and he's not going to do it. Jesus didn't say that. He said, I'm going to let you go through it, Peter, but I prayed for you that when you have gone through it, that your faith is restored and you become one who strengthens the brethren. He knew what was coming before it ever arrived. God wasn't surprised when you got betrayed. God knew that it was coming. And in Jesus' case, God knew from the foundation of the world that Judas would betray him. He knows what's coming your way as well, good and bad. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah predicted, and that's one of the reasons I know this is the word of God. Because one quarter of this book is prophecy. Did you know that? One out of four verses is prophetic. No other religious book in the world has even one prophecy about the future that has come to pass. Not the Book of Mormon, not Jehovah's Witnesses, not the Quran. Only this one. Only this one. And the uncanny ability of God to predict the end before the beginning begins. 
He says in Zechariah 11, verse 12, Then I addressed them, Pay me what you think I'm worth. And they paid me an insulting sum, counting out 30 silver coins. Centuries before Jesus was betrayed for 30 silver coins. And God also predicted that Judas would throw the money back at the religious leaders in the temple. Zechariah 11:13 And the Lord said to me, "Throw it to the potter, this stingy sum at which they valued me." So I took the 30 coins and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. And Judas did exactly that. Threw it, but that wasn't enough. He left from there and hanged himself. King David also prophesied of Jesus' betrayal centuries before it ever happened. He said in Psalms 41, verse 9, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread at the Lord's Supper, has lifted up his heel against me. Wow. The word of the Lord, the prophecies of the Bible. There's no book in the world like the Bible. It is supernatural. It is filled with supernatural truth. You ought to carry it around proudly. Don't hide it. Let people see because it's a book of wisdom, a book of prophecy, a book of knowledge, a book of revelation. It'll tell you how to get saved. It'll tell you how to walk with the Lord. It'll tell you how to get free of sin. It'll tell you how to get ready for heaven. It'll tell you all about God. It'll tell you all about you. I love the Bible. If I was going to be stranded on an island and have my choice of anything to be with me, I would take a Bible. So the Lord knew full well what was coming and faced it, knowing that God had everything under control. And God is in your future right now. He's preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He already knows what, what is coming. He knows what others are going to do to you and has provided grace for your midnight hour. Now here is an important truth. God doesn't always shield us from painful events. He just doesn't. But he does provide grace that we might walk through them. Please understand that if you go through difficult events, don't look up and get mad at God and walk away. You can remember that I told you in church that God doesn't keep us from difficult times. You know, I, I love to cycle. I really do. I cycle all the time. I cycled Friday. I cycled yesterday. I did 50 miles in the last two days. And the way that I go every time, I mean, God just has it worked out this way. Every time that I go, I, I ride the river. I go, I go down the river. When I'm going... I face a strong wind. It's always coming out of the southwest. It's there every time. I've asked the Lord, why is this always here? Because it's about 20 to 25 mile an hour wind. And it just blows against you and blows against you. And one day I was just huffing and puffing, going about eight or nine miles an hour. This wind was blowing. Even people walking were leaning forward into it. And I'm going along. And it occurred to me, if there was never a wind, I would never develop. The wind is good for me. And then I said, Lord, why is there always this wind? And it was like he said to me, you want to be strong? Yes, I want to be strong. Then I'm giving you a wind that is blowing against you. And some of you are walking into a wind that is blowing against you. And you don't understand why times are tough. And you don't understand why you're going against what you're going against. And it seems like every time you turn around, you're facing another wind that seems to be against you. And you're praying, oh, that the wind could just be at my back. But I want to give you some news today. God must believe that you can handle it. 
and he must know that you can take it. And so he's saying you keep on walking and keep on riding because I'm making you strong. So now I say, oh, Kathy will say it's windy today. I know, praise God, it's windy today. (laughs) If the wind was always at my back, I would never develop. If the wind was always at your back, you would never have a testimony. If God always protected you from hard times, you would have no testimony as to how the power of God can set you free and see you through a difficulty. As the old song says, if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. Thank God for difficulties and trials and problems. Peter said, rejoice, Peter said. Rejoice when times are tough. James said, rejoice when there are trials and difficulties because God is perfecting your faith and strengthening your character and showing you what he can do because you're going to come out on the other side. And when you come out on the other side, you're going to have a testimony. A testimony is when you're being tested and doing some moaning. That's what a testimony is. Anybody in here moaning today? Got any moaners in here? Oh, yes, Pastor Jeff, the wind is so strong. Listen, that you're on the verge of a testimony. You're on the verge of a testimony. The Bible promises because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, So then, since then we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings. Do you hear that? There's not a testing you're experiencing that Jesus did not feel. Yet he did not sin. So he's able to have compassion And he's able to strengthen. And he's able to guide. He's able to empathize and sympathize with our plight. When you've been betrayed, Jesus understands it. He was betrayed. When you've been hurt on the inside, he understands it. He was hurt on the inside. And he experienced betrayal that we might be healed of its pain. Secondly, the Bible tells us, When you are betrayed, break toward God, not away from him. I'm going to say that again. Break toward God, not away from him, in your pain. It's true, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. I've seen this in life. I've been around long enough to see a lot of Christians come and go and experience all kinds of things. I've seen Christians drop like flies when they went through certain things they did not understand. I've seen them walk out and give up on God, give up on prayer, walk out of the church and go out into the world and say, it didn't work for me. No, no, no. It's not that it didn't work for you. You didn't hang on long enough for God to speak to you in it. Break toward God, not away from him. The same sun that melts butter, hardens clay. Some people, when they go through fire, they harden against God. They harden against truth. They harden against prayer. They become bitter and ornery and difficult and murmuring and complaining. But other people, 
When they go through fire, they melt like butter. They melt in the hands of God. They break down in the presence of God. They get on their knees and they seek God. As the Bible says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, not away from it, but towards it when we go through fire. There, there we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace. We'll find grace. We'll find grace. What is grace? It is that which gives you the power to do the will of God. We'll find grace to help us when we need it most. So when you're betrayed, when something happens that could embitter you, don't build your house there. Don't live in the past. Don't be one of these people that are always looking through the rearview mirror back there. You can't drive that way and you can't live that way. There's nothing back there. You got to move forward. They're not worth you hanging back there. Whoever betrayed you is not worth you losing your potential in God. So you go to him and you say, Lord, well, I'm hurt and I'm mad and I'm offended and you better help me with this or I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> that woke some of you up. We all have a choice following betrayal. We can grow bitter or we can grow better. The Bible promises that grace is there for us, but we're going to have to, watch this now, we're going to have to respond to it. You've got to respond to the grace of God. It's not going to come and get you in a headlock. You've got to respond to it. Listen to this powerful verse. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. I'm going to read that again. we got to watch out for one another. When you see a friend of yours get offended, watch out for them. When you know somebody that gets betrayed, watch out for them. We've got to one another one another. We've got to watch out for one another. And, and what are we looking for? That, that our brother, our sister do not fail to receive God's grace. Because the minute you're betrayed, grace is there. The minute you're offended, grace is there. Now look what he says. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So isn't it clear that when we're offended, we're betrayed like Jesus was betrayed. And the back, the knife is in our back and we're feeling it. And we're hurt and we're angry. What do we do? He says, you've got a choice. You can either receive God's grace, which will give you the power to forgive and to move on, or bitterness is lurking just around the corner. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Following betrayal, bitterness is going to come and knock on the front door of your house. The minute you're betrayed, you hear a knock on the door. And you open the door and there is this really sorry looking dude. All withered and a dried up prune. He's got furrowed brows. He's got a permanent scowl on his face. And he smells like a football locker room. His name is Bitterness. He's knocking on the door of your house because he's wondering if you're going to let him in. And here's what he says to you. You have a right to be angry. They don't deserve your forgiveness. Let me into your house and we'll stew on this together. I'll even arrange it where we can have a pity party. I'll invite some other people over will pick up your offense and you can sit around and talk about how you were wrong for the rest of your life. We'll have a good old time. I'll give everybody a violin and we'll sing the song. Nobody knows how dirty I was done. 
We call that a skunk group. A skunk group. Nobody offended likes to remain offended alone. We always want company. So we go looking for people who will pick up our offense. And when we find them, they're our real friends. And we all begin to gather together and talk about how dirty you were done and how evil and bad those other people are and blah, blah, blah. And in the meantime, the Spirit of God is leaving and the grace of God is leaving and the blessing of God is leaving and your future is leaving. And if you're not careful, you will live your days out a bitter old woman, a bitter old man, and you'll die a bitter old woman and a bitter old man. And that's no way to die. I've seen people go 20 years, 30 years. You say, hey, you're a Christian? Yeah, how long have you been in, since you were in church? Oh, 30 years. 30 years. Why? And they'll immediately hit the rewind button. I was wronged. Man, they lied about me or they did this to me or did that to me. So I picked up my marbles and I went home and I, and I look at them and I see huge potential that was wasted. Nobody's worth you losing your destiny. Nobody's worth you losing your blessing. Nobody. The good news is somebody else comes knocking, and you open the door, and there's a really gracious-looking woman. and Her name's Grace. Amazing Grace. And here's what she says, let me in instead. You've got a future and a hope. God has new and great things for you. I will help you to forgive and to move on. You don't have to let this stop you. You don't have to let this ruin you. You don't have to let this destroy you. I'm here to give you the power and the ability to forgive and go on into a new thing. Behold, I will do a new thing, says the Lord. Shall you not know it? I'm going to give you rivers in the desert and a road in the wilderness. I'm not going to let this destroy you. Anybody hearing me today? Bitterness knocks, grace knocks. The minute you're offended. So first we've got to realize God knew that it was coming and he's there to help you with his grace. And second, our part is to respond to the grace and do it quickly. And third and last, I wanted to say that if you decide to go with grace, there's great promises. Let me tell you what they are. He heals the broken in heart. He binds up their wounds. This is the promise of God for everybody who lets grace in the front door. Psalms 37, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near those that are of a broken heart and saves those that are of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. When Jesus walked into his hometown, he walked right into the pulpit of the synagogue he had attended all of his life. He opened up the Bible and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted and to set at liberty them that are bruised. That word means shattered. It means crushed. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but they left something out of that because there's one who can put him back together again. Do, do you know that our world is filled with Humpty Dumpties? Anybody in here ever been a Humpty Dumpty? And, and all kinds of people tried to help you and nobody could do it, but then you met. Yeah. 
Isn't that right? And so I want you to stand with me today, would you? I, be I believe there are people here today who have something down inside of them that is an offense, a grudge, a root of bitterness, or some simmering anger. When you hear the name of a person, you have an immediate reaction. And you know that God wants you healed. Heal people, heal people. And fixed people, fix people. But hurt people, hurt people. And I want to pray for your healing today. We remember Jesus' betrayal. And we remember it because he was betrayed. I can be healed of the deadly consequences of betrayal. I can be freed of anger and bitterness. Don't live with it, friend. Let God set you free. With our heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've been hurt. I have been offended. I was betrayed. And I want to let it go today so that I can be free. If that's you, would you raise your hands and just put them high? I'm going to pray for you. People all over this place, are you willing to let it go? Are you willing to let go of it? Put them high. Let the Lord see that hand. It's raised in faith. And Father, you see all these hands raised hurt and wounded people all through this sanctuary and Lord I've been there I know I know the pain I know the trap and I pray Lord that your hand will be extended I want you to say this with me church say I forgive my betrayers I receive grace into my house that empowers me now to forgive I pray for their well-being, my betrayers, and that you will heal them. I release them, Lord. I hold no grudge. I let it go. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, thank you for doing it. Thank you for liberty in the house. Thank you for freedom, that weight lifting off. We praise you for it and thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you needed this today, give the Lord a hand.